0: ready. Strikes.
1: A new season is upon us, and we are here to break down for you every storyline, transfer rumor, and of course, the way that you can bet on the EPL this season. Welcome into Crossing Broad FC. Your home for the best international football talk this side of the pond. I'm Russ Joy on Twitter, at Joy On Broad, joined as always by my friend, and I guess in some ways, my spirit animal in the sport of football, and that is Phil Keidel, who you can find on Twitter, at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Keidel. Phil, how are you feeling on the eve of another beautiful EPL
0: season? Well, I've missed that salutation, Russ, and, and I've missed speaking with you. It's nice to be back. How am I feeling? Remarkably subdued. Manchester City is my favorite club. They've won two Premier League titles in a row. And really, I should be feeling uh, a lot of heavy anticipation and nerves, but also excitement. But one of the things I, I'll be honest with you that I'm feeling a lot is, my God, they're already back? I feel like it hasn't been that long, and I think this is a function of having grown up in the United States where the the sports follow certain seasons and certain paths. And I, you know, I consider uh, world football to essentially be a sport that starts in the fall, the way American football did my entire life. Well guess what? Because of all the ancillary competitions and because of all the cups and because of all the international breaks and all the other nonsense. The Premier League season goes like 10 months plus. It's wild. And so I'm looking at the calendar. I'm like, oh my God, City and the whole league are playing matches that count this weekend. It seems insane. But I still love it. I'm still excited. The one thing, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. The fact that they come back as they do in early to mid-August every year, they play three matches in a row, they get all your excitement juiced up again, and then there's an international break after three match weeks. That's unacceptable, and somebody needs to be held accountable.
1: No, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, for for those who might be new to this whole thing, uh, you know, we're using this as a primer to kind of get people set up. Whether you're somebody who is an avid follower of a club, or you're somebody who's just trying to figure out what team to pick, what team to support because you've got friends or family who are, you know, trying to push you to to watch a game with them, a match with them on a uh, a Saturday or Sunday, even a Monday. That's what we're here for. So uh, and for those who are, you know, learning or trying to learn how to, you know, intelligently try to place down some money at a, uh, you know, a legal sports book, we're also here for that. Of course, um, in the description to this episode, wherever you're listening and we are available on many platforms at this point. Uh, those include Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, we're also available on Pocket Cast, CastBox. I mean, we're, we are pretty much anywhere that there is a podcast. So if you're not listening on your favorite podcast app, you can find us there. I'm pretty darn sure of it. Um, but in the description, we also have links to, specifically for this episode, FanDuel Sportsbook and to Sugarhouse Sportsbook, which you can find those apps and and all of those reviews over on crossingbroad.com. There's an entire dedicated section of the site to that kind of stuff. So we'll be hitting those, but it's not something that you need to feel obligated to do. We're just here to provide you with a little bit of insight and uh, be your your spirit guides of sorts as you uh, begin to navigate these waters of the EPL season. So let's get it started, Phil. Um, And I guess as we go here, uh we'll try to break down our favorite matchups and the the things that you know i think are the most worthwhile as it sound perfect all right good so i guess let's get into it with uh one of the teams that i think people are probably the most excited about going into the season and and that of course are the uh the good friends that we have over in manchester now there are two teams obviously again this is for everybody uh there are two teams in manchester One is red, that's United. One is blue, and that is City. We're going to start with the reigning, defending, undisputed champions, Manchester City. Um, And we're going to analyze a a question that each of these teams has to face. So let's start with City, Phil. They, They finished a year ago in first place with 98 points. They just edged out Liverpool, who, in fairness, had arguably a more impressive season, only having lost one match. But City managed to win... More games overall. They had 32 wins on 38 games. Um, Let's talk about City. And I guess the most glaring question is, will Manchester City be the first team since Manchester United in 2008-2009 to win a third straight league title?
0: Well, the bookmakers certainly seem to think so. I was a little taken aback by this. As of right now, if you run to your favorite app uh, to put down a shekel or two on City... To repeat again, they're one to two. You have to bet a dollar to win 50 cents. Um, That seems a little insane, except for the fact that, as you just pointed out, they had 98 points last year. The year before, they had 100. And so they're on this pace right now that Pep Guardiola, their manager, has where they really do treat every match like the most important match they've ever played. And then three days later, they do it again. And six days later, they do it again, and it's ridiculous. Now, to top all of that off, by the way, they've managed to shed some dead wood. And listen, you know, I love Vincent Company, he was a wonderful servant to the club. He's gone. Fabian Delph, who made me crazy, he's gone. And on that note, they got rid of older, less valuable players and have brought in huge money signings. I don't know how they're doing it. And I know we've talked about financial fair play. Let's not have that conversation tonight, because <clears> all I want to talk about is Rodri coming in from Atletico Madrid for $62.6 million and <laughs> João Cancelo from Juventus for $58.5 million. By the way, I love a defender with the name Cancelo, because it's like having a striker named Golazzo, right? Ah, there you <laughs> a go. defender you. named Cancelo. It's fantastic. Rodri is being groomed to take over for Fernandinho, who I believe is 34 now. Uh, he's got one of those sweeper midfielder styles of play. Uh, he's young and he's quick and he's strong. Uh, the only thing that could possibly get in City's way in uh, a real significant manner, there's two things. First of all, injuries you can never uh, legislate for. Although they got around Kevin De Bruyne's injury pretty well last year, and now he's apparently fully healthy again. We'll see how long that lasts. The only thing that might really get in City's way in terms of their league position and their league chase is that for all of the silver they've won under Guardiola and even with uh, Pellegrini and and Mancini before him, the Champions League failures are haunting City like crazy. With all the money they've spent, uh, as people who detest City will tell you, they've spent a billion four in wages and have never even made a Champions League final, much less won one. So you could see a situation where if the league gets off to a spotty start uh, and they don't come out dominantly, that Guardiola may have to put more of his eggs in the Champions League basket than he might ordinarily want to. Beyond that, though, it might not take 100 points or 98 points to win the league again. Uh, they might only need 90. And it feels like aside that if they have relative health and reasonable competence... Should get ninety points without trying particularly hard, so they're the odds-on favorite for a reason. But then again, they're not a great value, which is something we're going to talk about as we go forward.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest thing for people who are looking. And I think you know probably the the most common better at this point um, might look to add an EPL match, some kind of prop, or a uh, you know a heads up decision between which team is going to win, or obviously a draw, which makes. You know, betting a soccer game a little bit more difficult. It's not just picking a, a flat-out winner. Um, it it really is. You know, there is a, a decent enough chance that the teams are going to draw at the end. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking for something that's reasonable, that's good value, and and is going to be something that they might even put into you know a parlay that they're working on with a different sport. So that's the one beauty of the soccer season. Is right now we obviously have baseball going on, football is about to start up, and that'll be running concurrently. So will hockey and and uh, basketball in the fall. So you know when we talk about value and and things that are worthwhile and are and have decent enough odds that it can kind of push you over the top on a parlay, get you you know better better bang for your buck, sometimes there are things that are worth value as a as a flat out bet on its own in the case of city you know they're they're going to win a lot of games and they are going to be heavy favorites in practically every game they play so yeah, you're right there there isn't a ton of value unless you're gonna throw down a lot of money on them and You know that that really is, I guess. You know, I'll go the other way in in the in the beauty of the beholder. I guess, right? I'll
0: go the other way. I'd be tempted to do this, and and this is a little outside the box, but just follow me. They go 100 points two years ago. They go 98 last year. Um, A lot of the odds on them right now have those points baked in, right? In other words, they have that track record, and so there's the feeling, especially among some naive betters, that what happened in the past is going to repeat itself. But if forced to play every City match from today through the end of the season, if you made me do it, I would be very tempted to take half a unit and put it on draw and half a unit and put it on City's opponent for the entire season. Interesting. Under the rationale, okay, that the odds on the teams they're playing are always going to be really high. You're, you're going to get heavy weight on all of those teams that City are playing against and the draws as well. And obviously, both the draw and the win for the opponent can't both come in, which is why you hedge. But my point is, over a long season, that would probably be a marginally to above marginal winning play. As long as City doesn't post another 100-point season, which we already touched on, they probably won't
1: one of the I think um, a good thing that might be worth taking a look at just throughout the season and this this will probably apply to, to pretty much any city game is as you look at trends uh, for how teams do in like the first half of a game um, you know just to give people an idea of what kind of bets you can place um, at these sports books at like a sugar house or at a FanDuel. I mean there are so many things that you can play within a, a given game usually where you'll find a ton of value against a, a top team like a Manchester City a, a Liverpool um, even a Tottenham, um, you know, you look for something like a team to score first, but fail to win the game, which doesn't mean that they flat out, you know, lose the game. It, it could also mean that they draw, right? Sometimes you're gonna you're going to run into a situation where an underdog team or somebody that has the odds really stacked against them has shown a track record for, you know, eight weeks into the season. They end up scoring first, like six out of those eight games or something like that, where that becomes something that you think is a a reasonable trend to throw down a little bit of money on and you get ridiculous odds. So for example, like it's possible that if they play a mid table team, somebody who's like ninth or 10th or 12th in the table out of 20 teams, maybe they're riding a hot streak of scoring first, but you don't think they're going to end up winning the game against city instead of getting it where, you know, you might be at like minus, I don't know, minus 200 or something for them to score a goal in the game at all. You might be able to get like plus 400 odds which is something that I think we've seen over the last year or so, you know, a mid-table team to score first and City to, to go on to either win or draw, I mean, that's that's where your value lies. So part of this is also understanding like the kinds of different bets that you can put in. Um, we'll get through those and we'll, we'll kind of intersperse those uh, as we do the, the breakdowns here. Is there anything else that you wanted to hit on with City before we move on to the next team?
0: No, I just don't like them as a betting proposition because of their dominance and because they are odds on. You might also think about, aside from just playing their opposition week on week, you might also think about waiting for them to come out of the gate slow, which they could. I mean, they're playing Spurs in week two. They lose that match. Let's say they go to uh, West Ham this weekend and draw, and they've got one point after two matches. Unlikely, but it could happen. Then their odds adjust, and then you have a chance to seize on the value of what isn't inherently a great team who's probably not going to struggle all year. Uh, then you might jump on them, but not now, not not with the way they're perceived
1: by the betting public and the books. Got it. All right. Um, let's move on to another team that's also going to have to juggle, you would think, juggle not only the league season, not only the EPL domestic season, but also making an appearance and. And, you know, obviously for their supporters, hopefully a deep run in the Champions League. And that, of course, is the defending UEFA Champions League winners from a year ago. And that's Liverpool, led by manager Jurgen Klopp, one of the most charismatic, if not the most charismatic, over-the-top manager you'll find in all of international football. And that uh, is uh, why I like Klopp. I don't necessarily like Liverpool, but I'm a big Jurgen Klopp fan. Um, He managed not only last season, I mentioned this off the top, but Liverpool in 38 domestic matches in the EPL only lost one game a year ago, but they were still edged out by one point by Manchester City. They did not walk away with the EPL title, but arguably, and the thing that I always come back to because I didn't grow up in England, and so the domestic title isn't as meaningful to me in a league as much as the Champions League. Um, Liverpool won the champions league and it was something that was a a real success for them. Now there were fans who, you know, said pretty flat, like pretty flat out that they had preferred or they would have preferred if Liverpool had won the EPL and dropped the champions league final. There are some people who, who really do believe that the domestic title is more important. I would say that, you know, being the champions of Europe is a much more prestigious thing. That's just me. Um, Let's talk about Liverpool. The question that I think is facing them, especially because they're coming off this Champions League high, uh, will there be a Champions League hangover for this Liverpool squad that really didn't do a whole lot in terms of transfers this uh, this summer?
0: A quote from your man Jurgen Klopp was, you should never do transfers because other clubs are doing transfers. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. (laughs) You should be doing transfers because they are doing those transfers. You need to keep up with the Joneses, and it's pretty tough to do when Manchester City have the deepest pockets in the world and Spurs have shown uh, a a new willingness to spend. Arsenal went out and reloaded. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, I don't think this was a great time for Liverpool to stand pat. Now, they may not have had options, but I think they might have, and as good as Liverpool's first, say, 14 are, I think you start to see some of the slippage beyond that. And, you know, they've been remarkably fortunate. I've said this in previous shows that you and I have done. They've been remarkably fortunate in terms of the health of Mosala and Sadio Mane, even Roberto Firmino, uh, James Milner. I mean, th- these guys play a lot of matches and they, they continue to show up week after week after week. I don't know what happens to
1: Liverpool if Mosala goes out for two months. I just don't know. I can't be good I'll, though. I'll tell you what happens Phil. They they probably crater. They're good enough on the rest of their talent to be better than a mid-table club. But without Mosalah, I think we've we've seen enough of a track record over the last 2 years that they can be a decent enough team. They are capable of rising to the occasion in his absence. But if anybody thinks that they're going to be able to go with, you know, a solid 3-month stretch throughout, you know, part of the toughest part of their schedule without him, Um, and still manage to fight City for that top spot in the league, I I don't see it.
0: Whereas I said City dealt with De Bruyne's injury for most of the season and never really looked like they were in trouble. Uh, You can can totally see a situation where City loses Sergio Aguero for three months and still bangs goals in because Gabriel Jesus is a great player and because they have so much midfield attacking talent. I don't think Liverpool has the ability to withstand an injury bug, and these guys are all a year older, and they all played an absolute ton of football last year on the way to a Champions League medal, which, by the way, that's fine. You're happy to take the wear and tear on your side when you come out with the ultimate prize. There's no arguing that, but why they didn't spend in this window, I will never understand.
1: I don't know. I feel like, to some extent, Liverpool, maybe the the thought there is, by essentially returning the same team as last year, they're there's going to be that immediate chemistry right regardless of how some other teams might have to start off where there there feels like there's a little bit of inconsistency or or a feeling out period of trying to build that chemistry like especially like in the midfield or connecting levels from defense to midfield midfield up to the final third Liverpool knows what to expect Jurgen Klopp knows what to expect in terms of like what his players can handle how they can handle um, the workload they can handle you talk about like the physical preparation, the the social emotional kind of preparation that Klopp has to approach his team with. He he pushed all the right buttons a year ago. Yeah, devil's so advocate though. So
0: what about what about complacency? What about the fact that none of these guys feel like they have to earn anything because nobody was brought
1: in to challenge anybody's position? You know what, though? I think that there might be just as much of a chip on their shoulder knowing that, despite the fantastic season they had last year, they feel like there's unfinished business with City. A chip on and their shoulder? So they
0: they won the Champions League.
1: They, they did, but I think that there still has to be a part of them um, as players, as as coaches, that wants to go and prove that they were the best team in England last year, and while you know, there are still detractors, there are still voices, there are still talking heads in, you know, in and around the EPL that say City was the best team last year. It doesn't matter that Liverpool won the Champions League. I think Liverpool still has something to prove and and really declare that not only were they the champions of Europe, but like this year, their intention is to go out and win their league. And we'll see. I mean, it, it's like I said before, I think the, the way that, that fans and pundits view the domestic cup, versus uh, you know the the Champions League it, it really does depend on what you value more but we'll see uh, let's move on to the team that Liverpool defeated in the Champions League final last year and that of course is Tottenham Hotspur a team that I've always been very high on this show and um, that's not true at all um, I'm I, I'm never a believer of Tottenham. I'm not about to start now but we can talk about them because Tottenham was one of the many rumored teams to be uh, interested in acquiring Dybala from Juventus. It didn't end up happening. But let's talk about Tottenham. Specifically, since they lost the Champions League last year, the Champions League final against Liverpool, will there be a hangover for this team? And could they be getting down on themselves pretty early? Thoughts? That seems more likely um,
0: because... Tottenham had a quasi miraculous run to the Champions League final and then just laid an egg in that final and barely showed up. Now, they did and why did they lay that egg, Phil? Because they weren't as good as Liverpool. That's why.
1: Besides that, Phil, who's the player that came back for the final and screwed up the entire chemistry in the final third?
0: You wouldn't be referring to England's own Harry Kane, would you? England's
1: own the darling Harry Kane. I will still argue that if Harry Kane did not return for that game, if they didn't feel the necessity of playing him, there's a chance that Tottenham ends up finishing off that Cinderella run. What a, anyway, brave, what a
0: brave armchair Monday morning quarterback move that was from you. Very brave. Is it really? Spurs have brought in Dembele from Lyon and Sessignon from Fulham. That's my foreign pronunciation effort. Really for proud of evening. you for that. That was good. I yeah. appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, they needed those reinforcements because Deli Ali continues to be kind of an in-and-out question mark type. Kane has his injury problems here and there. Uh, you can't necessarily ask uh, Christian Eriksen to carry the the ball and uh, set up goals every game, day in day out. He needs help. So Spurs did good business in the window. Them not getting Dybala is the difference between them. Again, being a distant third behind City and Liverpool in terms of value and potentially being right in this thing. I mean, If they had gotten DiBala to take over for the games when Kane doesn't have it and to be as dynamic as Dybala is, that would have been wild. I need you to explain to me, if you know anything about this, why it is that apparently part of the holdup in getting DiBala transferred is because he sold the rights to his image. To some company
1: in Malta when he was a teenager. Do you know anything about this? I don't, but there have been issues in the past where a player has sold off part of their own rights, or um, it, it it muddies the waters of a negotiation where the first club that signs a player to a professional contract. As part of the terms of that, they still get effectively what's a royalty, and they still have to sign off on certain kinds of deals. It affected, I think it was Carlos Valdez with the Philadelphia Union a few years ago, where there was a team that wasn't directly linked in the transfer of Valdez from South America to the Union. Um, there was another team that was able to hold it up because they owned partial rights to Valdez. And this is obviously different because this is specifically to Dybala. Um, but there, there are strange things that happen, especially when young players are able to get, you know, guaranteed money as teenagers. It's a really tricky thing because the the way that um, some of the the way these deals go down and the way that you know the um, the national federations monitor the way that teenagers are approached by by teams by companies. Um, there's not a lot of regulation in some nations, and this is probably something like what we're seeing here with DiBala, where he, under no circumstances, should have been able to sell the exclusive rights to his image. It was probably just money up front. It might have been money that his family needed at the time, or, or it was just a, a big check, and it was something that, you know, as a, as a young kid, you can guarantee money for yourself, for your family. And you know it's hard to break into being a transcendent kind of talent or being a, a top flight talent. You know you're, you're kind of saving yourself having to make that bet on yourself. It's very tricky though. This this whole thing is is very strange. Well, let's be clear too. It's not
0: as though DiBala is truly suffering out of this. First of all, who knows if he really wanted to go to England. But secondly, he's going to do just fine. He makes plenty of money playing football. And to the extent that he probably sold himself far, far short in terms of his image rights, well, that means he'll have to economize a little bit—just the three yachts, just the two planes, uh, just the you know X number of girlfriends instead of
1: the Y number of girlfriends. It's going to be okay. I guess so. Yeah, I guess. I'm just looking into this right now because it's it's interesting. You know, the the concept of not being able to use his rights would would mean that. In any case, that like say Tottenham had been able to complete that transfer, if they wanted to use his image, uh, you know, in a pamphlet, they wanted to use his image on merchandise, they wanted to use his image on a campaign, a, game a program, promo, anything. They they couldn't do it without getting the approval of this company or paying this company a side pot. It's absolutely insane. That that is just something like and and look. This is something that I would expect at some point to see happen not only in soccer, but to happen in a lot of sports, especially, I, I would think, especially the NBA, where it's a global game, it's a global brand. You might be able to get a, a really massive payday for somebody to uh, come in and, and control your image as effectively you know, intellectual property. But man, does this make things very, very complicated. So Well, and pour anyway. one
0: out for the poor schmuck who paid all the money for the rights
1: for the image rights to Freddie Adu. Oh come on! I thought we were gonna get through the show without a shot at Freddie Adu, and here we are—the former uh, American Wunderkind. You can bid to that he hope. Four- Was he 14 at the time? Something like when that. When he uh, he came to MLS, and whew, rest in peace, womp. womp. Uh, uh, all right, so that's uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Don't don't worry, folks. If you're uh, looking for a team to uh, to support this season, you can you can do that. But I'm just letting you know: be prepared to be disappointed. But um, enjoy that. Let's move on to uh, Glory Glory Man United, a team that a lot of people uh, like to uh, to get behind. They're a very popular team. Again, I said off the top of the show, Manchester's got red and Manchester's got blue. The blue team is the good one. The red team is the perplexing one. And United has a an interesting uh, an interesting set of days here leading up to. This season, including the uh, departure of Romelu Lukaku, who I-, I thought, honestly, a year ago, provided them uh, a-, a real threat up front. And he's gone now off to Inter Milan. But Harry Maguire comes in. So here's a question for you, Phil. Will Ole be able to manage this club on Boxing Day? Will he still be here I in think Manchester? I think he will. Uh, now, that being said, I think... Think
0: United made a colossal gaffe by giving Solskjaer the contract extension they gave him last year off that, whatever it was, eight or nine match winning streak when it seemed like it was all working. Because if you look back at those wins, they didn't really play anybody. Um, And it was just that United's supporters had been dying for some glimmer of hope that they might return to past glories. And they essentially pushed the ownership group uh, with their voices into extending a club hero in Solskjaer and giving him the wheel, shall we say. Ole's oh, at the wheel,
1: let's oh, say. Oh, yeah, Ole oh, take the wheel.
0: Right. Well, that's the bad news. I think it probably wasn't the greatest decision to give him the controls. But I'll give United credit for this. Having made that decision, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, they have spent and they have allowed him to choose players that he thinks he can win with. Harry Maguire, his transfer fee was higher than what Liverpool paid for Virgil van Dyke. Now, there's not a universe in which Maguire is all of the player that van Dyke is. If he's 80% of the player van Dyke is, United will be thrilled. But when you look at the way um, United Central Defense has played for the last three or four years, now you don't have to look at Phil Jones anymore least not for a while. True, Uh, And so that's a huge signing for United, even though it was an overspend. They also bring in Aaron Wabasaka, who's a very good right back, and they bring in Daniel James, who's a a pacey winger. Uh, On top of that, I think the Lukaku transfer might be addition by subtraction. He was always just a little less than what they needed. And now you can give Marcus Rashford the control of the attack at United, uh, along with Lingard. And you can see that these guys, they're still young, but they're not that young. They're not green anymore. You can see what you have in them. You can give them a year, 18 months, two years to prove if they can carry you into the next phase of United being a top four club. Notice I I didn't say that they would be a champion because they're never catching City. But beyond all that, um, yeah, I think it was a wonderful summer for United. And Solskjaer has nothing to do but prove that he's the man. Will he still be managing the club on Boxing Day? I believe so.
1: Boxing Day 2020, that could be a different analysis. I like the uh, the thing that you brought up about the timing of them giving him the, uh, the extension last season. It's kind of like um, you go to your small town and the starting quarterback from the year that uh, your team won the, I don't know, they won the league, they got to the state playoffs and then... Oh, man, he, he blew out his knee, but he was still the most popular guy, very popular among the entire school population. He goes on. He has a pretty successful run in, like, Division II football. Everybody's still rooting him on. He's hoping to make the pros. He doesn't get there, but he comes home, and he walks into the local dive bar, and everybody's just kind of huddled around, and And he walks in. The whole place lights up, and pretty soon they're, they're hyping him up on on all of the good times they had years ago and they convince him to buy shots for the bar and pretty soon he relents, buys everybody a shot and at some point everybody realizes it was a real big mistake because it wasn't alcohol, it was rubbing alcohol. That's kind of what I think is happening here, what happened with the fans and with ownership. They finally convince them to extend this guy and it ends up being, I, I think it'll be a mistake. And it won't be long. I wouldn't be surprised if by January he's out. I could see a scenario where United is in eighth place, ninth place, and pretty soon people are asking, "Man, like maybe we didn't expect to compete with City, but I certainly thought we'd be better than a you know top half of the uh, middle of the table." That's just me. I and guess how many safe. how many half worked
0: or less than half worked managerial contracts. Can United be expected to pay at one time?
1: Right. Well, I think that the Moyes contract finally ended. So yeah, I know, got, but it's like they've got uh, what two right now? I think that are ben still Hall and Mourinho, right? Yeah. So they're they're currently paying three managers, uh, t- two to stay home and and one to actually manage the club. It's just kind of what they do at this point. It's a shame. It's a shame for a team that, for so long, relied on Sir Alex Ferguson, and and they've just never been able to fill that void. We'll see. Nice Sir Alex to keep
0: showing up to the matches too, just to you know hammer home the fact that as soon as he left, they went right in the dumper.
1: I gotta be honest. I think that's the thing that bothers me the most in the entire in the entirety of English football. Uh, he him being there, I, I I get why the team still wants to have him around and, and have him visible to the fans. But I don't know if I shared the story with you, but I remember playing youth basketball. I wasn't any good. I barely played. Um, we had a, a coach who was honestly one of the, the creepiest, scariest human beings I've ever met. And he was in, in our faces at like nine years old, ten years old. It was very uncomfortable. And we knew that we had a talented team. But we were never going to win with this guy. Finally, I think he just... He had enough of the parents getting on him about the way that he, you know, interacted with their kids. He walks away from the team. The assistant coach takes over. Much calmer, cooler head. This guy takes over. We go undefeated to the championship game. And who shows up in the stands for that championship game but our former coach? And we watched as everyone's body language just suffered. You know, the whole team just kind of collapsed. And I wonder if there's a similar effect of having Sir Alex Ferguson at Old Trafford for the manager at the time, because we've watched guys who had success with other teams go from being a massively confident guy to after like a stretch of a a few mediocre results or poor results, Sir Alex shows up at Old Trafford and all of a sudden the body language on that manager changes. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, he should let uh, a manager walk out from, from under his shadow Perhaps it's better for Sir Alex to stay away. United fans would never admit it, but I think at some point it's got to happen.
0: Well, and really, the United fans could take that bull by those horns if they wanted to, and essentially, without being nasty about it, let Sir Alex know that he's really not welcome, right? Like, enough already. You could see that now. Yeah. I don't know if they'd be bold enough, uh, but I could see it certainly in Philadelphia under similar circumstances. The fans here could get to a point where it's like, enough already. You got to go. We have to move forward. It's been five years. It's been six years. Uh, You're not doing us any good sitting there watching us fail. Um, You know, go somewhere else. Go to the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) Manage an MLS. We
1: don't care. Just get away from us. Yep. Um, Really quick, before we move on to our next team, let's just talk about a couple of prop bets. I think a lot of these are going to be pretty easy for people to understand, but just for the heck of it. So uh, we talked, I believe, off the top about, you know, Obviously, the thing that a lot of people look for is just picking a winner for a match. Um, so you look at the money line. Um, you always have the option to pick for the home team or the away team uh, or the draw. The one thing that you want to keep in mind, especially with the sports books as they kind of get their footing, especially around international soccer, is sometimes the way that they structure what the home and away team look like on the sports book is not necessarily how you would expect to see it for a soccer match. So American sports, we always expect the home team to be on the right side or to be on the bottom. Uh, that is the inverse for soccer. So if you see the team listed on top, they're the home team. Or if you see them listed to the left, they're the home team. You've got to be careful to almost cross-reference uh, Google or or any of the uh, the regular sports sites that you would go to just to make sure that you know where the game is being played, the home or the away team. That's one of the things that I've seen people in the past. You won't see these sports books say um, the name of the team to score first or the name of the, the team to win. It'll say home team or away team. You just want to make sure that you're not being misled. That's a very uh, good tip. Um, yep. On the uh, other side of that
0: coin, there are some things that are very consistent with American wagering systems, i.e. public teams. Man United is a public team. They're basically the Dallas Cowboys. Um, City is now a public team, primarily because they've won so much. Liverpool is very much a public team because Liverpool has a rabid fan base internationally and certainly in, in the States. Spurs, not as much. Arsenal, kind of a public team. The point I'm making here, though, is that your value will be found when those public teams are in against A, teams in really good form, or B teams just below that top five or six who can really give them
1: trouble on a talent basis. Sure, absolutely. A um, couple other ones, really quick. Uh, you get both teams to score. That one's pretty basic. Um, a lot of times, you just kind of look at the trends and see if a, if a team has been in a scoring run or if they've been, uh, you know, doing a good job of getting out early and and uh, you know putting in the back of the net. And you also have
0: to look at the defenses on both teams. It's not just a question of whether the people can put the ball in the net. The question is whether uh, both teams are likely to concede. And very often they are, but you have to, as you said, you got to put the work
1: in and you have to look at the trends. One of the biggest traps probably is the first goal score that's always a a player-based selection that you're making. Um, You will find from time to time that a sports book will leave a favorite up. Uh, but it could be a player that uh and I, I saw this today actually. So uh we're a day out from uh from the first match being played, and I saw a player listed as being the most likely to score a goal and he's been transferred away. So yep. it's almost it's almost a trap. So you have to be careful not only uh to make sure that the guy is uh not listed on the injury report, but that he's still on the team. Because for some of these sports books, I don't know if it's that they aren't necessarily looking to update it as frequently as they would for an American sport. Or if, it's, or if it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit of foul play there. So make sure that you take a look for that. Um, and then, of course, there's the correct score. Some of the times you'll, you'll actually have um, a myriad of choices where they might, you know, list 16 potential score outcomes. And, again, that's where the home and, and away team are, are very critical for you to know as somebody who might be betting. Um, you'll see that there are other ones where it's just a slider that you'll adjust uh, to pick the correct score. So those are a few. Uh, we'll come back to a few more in a little bit. Let's move on to the next team. And, and honestly, one that I think not only is a team that, you know, people are usually interested in just from a, the standpoint of it being a, a very popular team, but one that went out and got the wunderkind at the end of last season. And that of course is uh, Christian Pulisic from Hershey, Pennsylvania friends. Um, he made a transfer from Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga in Germany to Chelsea. And he's had a, uh, a, a pretty interesting week. Of course, uh, on national TV here in the States, he had two goals and an assist, or he had two goals and a uh, he drew a penalty in a, in a match, in a friendly... Like a hockey uh, assist, a, a basically. Week, yeah, exactly. Uh, a week ago, he, he looks good for Chelsea. The question now, I guess, in, in some sense, is will Pulisic be able to continue a, a good run here? And maybe more importantly, will Frank Lampard, who's managing the club now, will he still be managing the team on Boxing Day? So I was a guest of Kevin Kincaid, our good friend and
0: colleague on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia last night, and Mm. we talked a little bit about Mr. Pulisic, and it was actually a question from a listener on that show, and the question was, what do you expect? What do you think? And what I said then is what I will say now. I think if Pulisic starts out strong and plays reasonably well, 16 goals in all competitions is what I would say for him. And that might sound moderate or modest, mm-hmm. but it's definitely how I feel, partially because Chelsea is still operating under a transfer ban. They don't have that much around him. Also, the fact that they lost Ed is a major problem. Obviously yes, a it major is. problem. Nazar created so much for that team and was really the fulcrum of everything they did for the better part of 30 months, and now he's gone. And where so, did he go,
1: Phil? I uh, just just really quick. Where did where has our go? Well,
0: he went to some mid-table side in
1: Oh, you
0: disgust me. You I, disgust I me. I don't know why you would do such a thing. I mean, Ugh. if Barcelona wants you, it's one thing, but to go to some team that really uh, Is he removed didn't sniff, con- didn't sniff the La Liga crown
1: last year. Three consecutive Champions League. Well, until three last three. year I said, when they I said threw up removed themselves from. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, very good.
0: Yeah, he went to Real Madrid and uh, I wish him well. Uh, I think that's a match made in heaven. Uh, It's a falling star going to a a side that's fallen. I think it's perfect. It's a match made in heaven. But returning to our Chelsea, (laughs) you asked for it. Returning to our Chelsea analysis, will Lampard still be managing? He'll definitely still be managing on Boxing Day. That question that I posed is a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek question because he's a club legend much more than Solskjaer is at United. Lampard is a club legend at Chelsea. And I think... Abramovich and the Chelsea supporters understand that with Azar gone, it's unreasonable to expect that they are going to launch themselves back into title contention or anything other than a scrap for fourth place. So as long as Pulisic plays well and develops and Chelsea doesn't completely come unglued, which they shouldn't. They still have a lot of talent. Kepa is still a wonderful keeper, and they still have a a lot of great players even though the transfer ban has slowed them down. I think Lampard's going to be fine. He'll get through the season, and I actually like
1: Chelsea to finish fourth. But we'll get to that in a little while. Okay, uh, let's move on to uh, to the next team, my friend, um, Arsenal. Arsenal's a team that I think a lot of times when people are trying to pick a team, um, you know, their friends say you're not allowed to pick City, you're not allowed to pick Liverpool, and you probably shouldn't pick United unless you want everybody to think you're a tool. So one of the first ones to pop up after that is Arsenal, uh, who are no longer led by Arsene Wenger, which is a, a good thing if you're trying to look for a team because I, I and can the tell Invincibles, that the Invincibles are deep in history now. Because again, sure.
0: 15 years ago, if you'd have said, uh, "Who should I pick?" and somebody said you should pick Arsenal, they'd be like,
1: "Well, you're a front runner." Well, yeah. the front running days for Arsenal are long, long gone. If you're looking for the team with the tightest jerseys, uh, that of course would be <laughs> Arsenal, who who always look like their players are being dressed in a kit that's uh, about two sizes too small. So uh, let's talk about Arsenal. It feels like the odds makers are not big believers in in Arsenal to uh, win the league. But they, oddly enough, have them uh, favored uh, to make the top four over Chelsea, who we already talked about. It's kind of strange. It's a a weird thing to see there be this kind of disparity between a team potentially winning the league versus making the top four. Can you explain? Well, I think it's because Chelsea has won the league
0: in recent years, and they've won the Champions League in recent years. Um, There's the whiff of the possibility that Lampard could uh, make this Chelsea side uh, greater as a sum uh, than the whole the parts kind of thing. Um, But look... Chelsea's 33 to 1 to win the league. Arsenal's 40 to 1 to win the league. Um, the top four uh, odds are Chelsea at 13 to 8 and Arsenal 6 to 5. That's sort of like a coin flip in its own right. Um, I think it's really, like I said earlier about public teams, uh, I think the perception of Chelsea is winning in, in recent times. And the perception of Arsenal is not so much with the winning in recent times. And I think that explains the odds. I will say. It's been a fantastic summer for Arsenal. I mean, good on them. Nicolas Pepe from Lille for $72 million. Uh, he had 23 goals and 12 assists in 41 games in league. 1. Now, league 1 is junk, but 23 goals and 12 assists, that's 35 points in a major league in France. So consider it. Look, in, in Mbappe's fairness. numbers Mbappe's numbers were in that range, and Mbappe's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a great acquisition. They picked up David Luiz, who's a chucklehead, but he's better than what they had at central defense, and they got Kieran Tierney from Celtic. So good on Arsenal. They have players now. The big question for me, though, is it seems like they have a lot of, it's name talent, but it's not first tier name talent. So it's a lot of second and third tier name talent. And the question becomes, can Emery make them coalesce and make them better than they've been in recent years, or are the same defensive frailties and inability to uh, make everybody operate on a cohesive basis going to crop up again?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, kind of to your point, the idea of them being second and third tier guys. If you have a team that's full of those kind of guys, maybe doesn't have the top end talent. Is it better to have that kind of a team that maybe is deeper in terms of you know still being that second and third year or second and third tier player? Uh, is that more Impactful, or is it something that you think you can get more consistent play from than a team that maybe you know has has some good top end talent, but maybe is a little bit deficient in tier two and three and ends up having like a tier four grouping of of players? I don't know. Sometimes I think that it's better to have those tier two, tier three guys and have that as a as a deeper squad, and maybe you get somebody who rises to the occasion out of that group. Um, Arsenal, I think, has a higher ceiling than people are giving them credit for. It's certainly not going to compete for the league. But they might have some value to make the top four. So it, I think it is a, an, it's a an interesting bet. By the six way, to because... Five is t- six to five is tasty. It is. Yeah. Because as we've indicated earlier, after
0: the top three, and, and I'm putting Spurs in the top three, even though they could flake away, just as you've indicated many times. And then you'd be talking about two spots that Arsenal be going for. But even if it's only one... United doesn't overly impress. Chelsea has the transfer ban problems. Uh, I don't necessarily trust Everton or, or Wolves to chase down the fourth spot. So it could be the old Arsenal fourth
1: place trophy by default situation happening again. Yep. Uh, by the way, you mentioned League One a little bit ago. Uh, League oh, I Un, did. League League One, which uh, also begins play uh, the same weekend as the EPL. That's poor scheduling on their part. Um, it's interesting that it's League Un, you know, League One, because they only have one legitimate team. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're not we're not mm-hmm. going to be doing the uh, League Un preview show because, uh, really, it's PSG and then it's a bunch of scraps. Well, it, technically, it's, it's PSG and then, like, two teams that battle, battle for a distant second and then the rest of Drek. But uh, that really wasn't worth doing a whole show on. Anyway, let's go on to Everton. Honestly, Everton is, I think, the team that uh, has been the trendy one. The last, let's say, five, six years for Americans to go to, again, a lot of times it's avoid the six teams that we already talked about and go for that next tier down where people say, you know, see if you can find somebody that you can identify with. And a lot of a lot of fans, I think, for a while had gone to Everton because Tim Howard, the former U.S. men's team keeper, was the goalie. It, it felt like that was a, a big reason that so many fans, you know, pushed to go the, the Everton route. Uh, One of my best friends is an Everton fan, and I always feel really bad for him because every, it feels like every transfer window, he's hopeful that they're going to make that one big move that's going to be able to push them over the top and make them a legitimate top four contender and never seems to happen. But you look at it now and, and Everton, it doesn't have terrible odds to make the top four. They're 10 to one. Now, of course, they've got practically no shot per the odds makers to, to uh, win the EPL they're 150 to 1 which is absolutely bonkers i mean we're talking almost four times worse odds than arsenal um but 10 to 1 odds to make the top 4 isn't bad let's talk about uh about moisekein like where where do you think he's going to end up because he's a guy who you know tantalized i think a, a lot of fans uh playing for juventus last season he was a guy that we talked about at the end of uh, last season, I think it was as Juve was looking to push through to the next round of the Champions League. He's he's interesting, man. He's he's nineteen, and it looks like you know he's got the confidence to back up some very you know high end talent. He said at nineteen, he said that he's going to get Everton to the Champions League. So uh, I guess you know I don't know if he thinks it's this season. He certainly thinks that over the next few seasons he'll be able to get to the Champions League, but. Do you think he's going to make an impact, and do you think uh, you know, he could take Everton to the Champions League? Before
0: I tell you what I think he'll do, I will cycle back quickly to the Pulisic uh, commentary and, and conversation we were having. The thing I neglected to mention, which I actually said last night on, on Kevin's show, is I think Pulisic is under a lot of pressure to produce early because Chelsea has a history and a reputation for burying players that don't produce quickly, especially when they come in on transfer, especially when they're paid high wages, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, Pulisic is the, the new flavor at Chelsea, but if it doesn't work out, he could be in a situation where he doesn't make it onto the pitch. He could get loaned out in 18 months. God only knows. As for Moise Keane, I actually think he'll have a much longer leash. Everton can afford to deal with some growing pains from him if he doesn't come out firing. And if he does come out firing, and listen, he did some exciting things with Juventus last season, and he's a big talent, and he certainly has the confidence. So I like this signing for Everton an awful lot, an awful lot. And, and I'm not going to come out here and make some crazy prediction. I'm not going to say he's going to get 25 goals or anything like that. Um, I'm just going to tell you that I, I agree with you. In past years, Everton has had that little trendy pick thing going on, and it hasn't really worked out i think this season everton challenges very seriously for a european place not necessarily a champions league place but certainly a europa league place i think they are in that conversation and it's largely a reflection of how i feel about some of the teams behind them but that's what i'm going to say to you i, I like this signing they, they also picked up alex iwobi who is a proven performer with arsenal not a great player but certainly again better than what everton had right and Andre Gomez from Barcelona is going to help their midfield a lot. Um, they ha- And Richarlison still there. They have talent, Everton. And it's still a tough place to play, a miserable place to play. Um, I'm not going to say it's their year, but I'm going to say that I think they're going to uh, achieve more than they achieved last year and validate a bit of that trendiness that we've talked about.
1: All right, let's move on to uh, Wolverhampton, the Wolves. I actually like the Wolves. I think the Wolves have some really solid, uh, some solid imagery. I think their branding is uh, actually pretty nice. Wolverhampton is 12 to one to make the top four. They're even with uh, Everton at 150 to one odds to win the EPL. Probably not a good bet there. The question is uh, whether or not playing in the Europa League this season is going to uh, you know prevent them from repeating last year's success in the EPL. So where do you stand on that Phil, having to juggle the Europa League, we talked about, you know, teams like Manchester City and Liverpool having to kind of juggle that Champions League schedule. Wolverhampton's got the Europa League. What do you think?
0: I loved Wolves last season. I loved what they did. Uh, their manager did a fantastic job and they had production coming from a lot of different places. But they are still the type of side that cannot throw money around the way the top five and six clubs can. They did not reload in a meaningful way this summer. And now, instead of having the advantage of only playing when the Premier League schedule told them to, and occasionally playing uh, weakened sides in cup tournaments, although Wolverhampton actually committed to their cup runs last year, they're usually pretty good about that. But they never had to deal with European play. And not only is it European play, it's Europa League play, which is disastrous, okay? The places you have to go in the Europa League are far-flung, small, difficult to get to, difficult to get out of, and you're playing on Thursdays, right? So you're going to play a lot of Thursday night matches in Europe, And then you're going to have to hike it back to Wolverhampton, which is another place that's not easy to get to. And you'll probably be playing Sunday morning. I just don't like the way this season sets up for Wolves. That's not to say that they're going to plummet into the bottom half of the table. They're not. But it's asking too much for them to go from securing a European place for the first time in God only knows how long to maintain that European place and even maybe achieve more. That's asking far too much
1: from this group. I agree, and I and I hate to say it too because I I, I like wolves. I like wolves a lot. And I think it's a shame that you know it's it's almost in a sense like they're they're going to get punished for having a successful season a year ago. Um, well, this happened try, to, trying, to Everton to three or four years I, ago. Yep, this happened to Everton three or four years ago, where
0: and it happened to Leicester City after Leicester City won the Premier League. Yep, and then sold off some of their players and got. Run out of the Champions League um, in unceremonious fashion. That's kind of the way it goes for these sides that
1: cannot spend the way the other sides. can. And that's part and, of. The, and, and you almost wish that there was a way to encourage or incentivize owners of these clubs to go out and and continue to build on the talent they have instead of selling off the guys uh, that they have to you know try to recoup some funds. Well, it's it easy is, for us to say, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm just saying, you know, competitively, it's a shame. These sides, these Everton's, these Wolves'
0: sides, uh, the Leicester Cities, um, ultimately, two bad transfers can absolutely torpedo them. Sure. Whereas Man City can throw money away on uh, Elikin Mangala a few years ago. Uh, they can throw money away on Benjamin Mendy, guys that just don't work out. And whatever, doesn't matter. Look, City paid for Mares. from Leicester. And Leicester banked that money very happily. And Mahrez has not given City anywhere near what they thought they were getting with what they spent. But that doesn't matter, Man City. If Everton or Wolves or Leicester City or West Ham, for example, if they make a transfer error like that, get sent back three seasons. And you just can't take those chances. Now, as you pointed out, you know it's unfortunate because now Wolves are going to be in Europa League. And A solid but sort of thin squad is probably going to get uh, exposed some. And in a perverse way, in a perverse way, it might actually serve Wolves better if they get out of Europa League competition on the early side, i.e. don't qualify for knockout or go out in like the round of 32 or something.
1: Yep. Um, Really quick, before we round out the top 10, let's just talk about a couple other kinds of props really quick. Um, Some of these we'll probably get into a little bit more uh, on our weekly shows, because a few of them require a little bit more time uh, to flesh out than than we might want to dedicate to them right now. Um, over under on total goals, that's pretty simple. A lot of times you'll see any kind of variance from like uh, half a goal to four and a half goals, and that ends up being the total goals scored in the match. Um, there's a spread three way, the the spread three ways, and there's like the the handicap three ways, and there's all kinds of bets like that. Um, I think we're gonna save those for probably. Uh, a week to week episode because they just require a little bit more time. Um, the halftime—they're res-
0: complex. They're complex to uh, explain, and we don't want to explain it wrong and then have somebody come back to us and say, "You told me it was X, and I bet it, and it came through the way you said it came through, and I lost." Yeah, and I don't want to have that. I don't have so that on my hands.
1: Yeah. Um, so here's here's one that I guess is worth you know it's it's pretty simple, but halftime result. So that'll be um, you know what exactly you think is going to happen at by by half. So let's say City is playing uh, West Ham United and you want to pick that you think City is going to be leading at half. All right, cool, you can do that. If you think West Ham's going to be leading at half, cool, you can pick that. If you think it's going to be a draw, cool, you can do that. That's pretty simple. I mean, it's it's it essentially, I mean, there there are ways to do it where not only can you pick the halftime result, not only can you pick the final result, but you can actually put the two of those together and get different odds. There is the, uh, the halftime result and full-time result that you can put together. Um, there's also the double chance where you can have the team and a draw or picking both teams. So that, that is, uh, what happens like at the end of the match, you can either choose like in that case, Manchester city and a draw or, uh, West Ham United and a draw or one of either, you know, West Ham United or Manchester city to win, uh, where you're saying that like the draw is not going to be the outcome. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I can pick two of the three. that's an interesting one. Um, This might go without saying,
0: but I'll say it anyway. It should be pretty clear that the more contingencies you place on any given wager, the higher the return will be, but the more ways there are for you to get absolutely murdered by some small detail going the wrong way.
1: Yes. Um, Another one, really quick, uh, team goals in a match. So you can, a lot of these times, a lot of time it'll be a, a slider that you can use, but um, you're picking the the exact number of goals that you think a team's going to score in a match. They also have winning margin. Those are things that you know end up getting put together on a lot of other kinds of props. That one's pretty simple. Um, you can bet for a team to win both halves. So if you think that City's going to go out against West Ham and score a goal, and West Ham's going to score zero goals, and you think the same thing's going to happen in the second half, uh, and they score more goals than West Ham in the second half, then bingo, bango, bongo, you've gotten yourself... A nice little prop. Um, you also can, you know, put down money on a team to win either half. So maybe they, uh, maybe City goes out, wins in the first half. They end up getting shellacked in the second half. Well, they won one of the two halves of the game, so you end up winning your bet. So that's something else. Um, and then you can obviously do those more specific to first half and second half. All right, I think we've hit a few. We can move on. Well, not just team. that.
0: The bet in play is something that um, we can talk about very very quickly. Um, I'm not suggesting that you do it, but it's there if you want it. You know, you, you, you put a side down, you, 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 pick a side and you put some money down on it and it's not going that great at halftime. If you have a feeling there's usually going to be an opportunity to,
1: uh, try to get your money back or maybe even win a little bit more. Here's the other nice thing. A lot of these sports books, and it, it happens a lot with the American sports, and I believe it does happen with, uh, with EPL but there are times where you could have a bet that's out there that's got a couple of contingencies on it. And if you're ahead on that bet, you can cash out early. So instead of you having to like play out uh, City potentially winning or if, if you're going with like a, a West Ham scores first and ends up uh, failing to win the match, like if that's the kind of bet you want to put down, if they get out to a 1-0 lead, it is possible that you could end up cashing out, getting a little bit of a return on your investment there, end up in the positive and not have to worry about the rest of it. Again, these are all things. Yeah, it's a a reduced payout. It's it's a reduced payout, but if you were sweating it, and
0: now you're being given a chance to take some percentage of the win and not watch the rest of the match,
1: that can be pretty attractive. Uh, Let's move on to uh, Leicester City, and Leicester's an interesting team because, of course, they completed one of the most miraculous uh, sporting event, uh, like upsets of all time. I mean, they yeah, they
0: were five hundred to one, which You'll not see again anytime soon. Uh, in terms of, uh, uh, actually,
1: wasn't it five thousand? It was one five thousand to right? one. It was yeah, five f- thousand. It was one. five thousand one for them yeah. to win the EPL a few years ago. And, and they'll never put that kind of odds on any team ever again in that league. Nope, for that reason. absolutely not. Um, now they were five thousand to one a few years ago. Leicester has managed to kind of you know maintain a pretty steady uh, form of, or run of play here. They're, uh, they're listed at 200 to one to win the league, 12 to one to end up in the top four. I don't think that's a good bet. Honestly, I don't think that's good value. Um, the question now is can Brendan Rodgers bring the Foxes back to the Premier League prominence? I would not, under any circumstances, want to touch Leicester with a 10 foot pole to even get near the top four. That's just me. How do you feel?
0: Well, I like Iose Perez a lot. I think he's a great addition. He probably actually brings more to them than losing McGuire. I like Yuri Tielemans in midfield. However, as much as I love Perez and I think Thielman's a good player, and I don't even think Rodgers is a bad manager, I do think the loss of Maguire will ultimately uh, extract a toll on, on Lester. I, I don't think they will be as formidable defensively, and I think you're gonna see them play a lot of up and down matches. I think you're gonna see a lot of 2-2s, 3-3s, 3-2s, 2-1s, cetera, and so forth. And that is not the way that you forge a top seven position in the Premier League. You, you can't be going out every week hoping to outscore the other side and just hanging on at the end. It, that's not really the way you do it in this league. So I agree with you. I don't think they're a great value. I think they'll be a super watch. I think they'll be very entertaining. I just don't think. And by the way, they're not a great value to bet, and they're not a team I would bet against much either, if that makes sense.
1: No, I, I agree. I, I they're a stay saying. away. They're stay away they're... until further notice. Yep, absolutely. Now, if that changes throughout the season, we'll be sure to let people know. But uh, I don't. I don't think it will. Let's get to a team that I've referenced a lot. Uh, West Ham United. They're five hundred to one to win the league. Not happening. They're twenty five to one to touch the top four to make it in. Um, also, not touching that. Definitely not happening. Um, question: Are the additions of Sebastian Haller from Eintracht Frankfurt for forty five million pounds? And Pablo Fornals from Villarreal in a 24 million pound deal, a signal that the Hammers are no longer satisfied, just surviving every season. I think that's exactly what it is. I think those deals
0: are the ownership group at West Ham trying to tell their supporters and trying to calm their supporters down uh, that we're not going to try and uh, hitch our wagon to Chicharito anymore, Right. Because that's what they've been doing for the last two or three or four years. West Ham have been treading water, uh, occasionally achieving something, but generally speaking, being super disappointed. And if you'll remember, we talked about this on on past shows a while back. It got really nasty and ugly at the Olympic Stadium for a while. It's now the London Stadium. Um, There were uh, points at which the supporters were threatening to basically crash the owner's box because they were so angry with the way the club was being run these signings that you just referenced i think are something of an olive branch something of an offering from the ownership group to let them know that we're not going to finish 15th again or be in a situation where we're in 16th place with four matches to go and there's even a hint of us going down but i don't think you can go into another season with Manuel, manuel pellegrini as your manager and tell your fan base that you believe seriously in your potential to qualify for Europe because I just don't see it happening Uh, I don't know how long Pellegrini is signed for but I know he's up there in age and it's hard for me to imagine that even if he lasts the season that he'd be back again Um, I think he's a manager who could end up on a hot seat pretty quickly if things don't go the way West Ham expects them to
1: I agree with you 100% got nothing to add there Um, poor West Ham man it it's nice to see them go out and spend some money, but you know, I, I know I asked if it's uh, them, you know, no longer wanting to just survive, but maybe even thrive. I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not a, not a big West Ham. Believer. No,
0: when I when I posit that way, what I'm trying to say is surviving means we're in 15th and we got to just get through. I think West Ham is telling their supporters we're going to finish 10th, we're going to finish 12th, we're finish and we'll ninth. be happy about it. Nah not so much happy about it, but happier than you were. You're not going to be sitting there in April, um, watching the match with hands over your eyes, hoping that they don't go down early. And now all of a sudden bring in the 17th, 17th place team possibly to catch them. Yeah. I think West Ham is basically telling their supporters, this is going to be a relatively calm, not thrilling, but satisfying ride this season. And we'll try to build from it. These guys are young that they've brought in. Um, I, I still maintain they need an upgraded manager, and I love Pellegrini. He obviously won a, a title at City. But they upgrade the manager, and they do an, another bit of good business in the next two or three windows. We'll talk about it then. For now, this is just a signal, I think, that they are not going to be scumming along at the end of the season, hoping to survive.
1: I got you. All right. Um, I guess we've got to get to the rest of the teams. There are 10 other teams in the EPL are you ready for this Phil we'll hit him quickly because we I mean, have to at- you know we have to we have to do justice to the rest of the teams in the EPL we don't want to just look at the top 10 and act like the other 10 don't exist because you know there is a likelihood that one of these teams ends up cracking the top 10 so it's it's worth taking a gander at well I agree quickly. with you but
0: we're not going to talk about the odds to win the league and the odds to make top four on these sides because no no they're so astronomical and ridiculous that there's not a lot of value not just in not betting it, but
1: in talking about it at all. Okay. Here we go. Are you ready? My I am. All right. Aston Villa. Let's talk about them. Um, highest rated. Highest yep.
0: rated of the newly promoted sides. But the problem with that is the other two newly promoted sides, Norwich City and Sheffield United, who haven't been in the league in forever, uh, are both odds on to be relegated right back to the championship. <laughs> I can't remember the last time that this was... What the odds makers thought, because usually when a team survives the test of the championship and achieves promotion, they do so on merit. They do so on youth. They do so on strength. And they do so in a manner that once they are back in the league, they spend in the window to try and stay up. It doesn't feel like Norwich or Sheffield had any idea that that was the expectation because Norwich is 10 to 11 to go down again and Sheffield is 7 to 10 to go down again. 7 to 10 to go down again. They haven't even shown up and they're already writing obituaries for this team. And probably on merit. Anyway, Aston Villa is kind of the example of what I was referencing earlier. Uh, First of all, Villa is a very proud long-storied traditional franchise that's been out of it for four or five seasons now and is very clear about their intent of not going down again anytime soon. They've spent a lot of money on transfers, not on famous players. Kind of what you said earlier about second and third tier uh, players, Villa is loaded with fourth and high thirds, right? They're loaded with a lot of solid, boring, effective professionals. And in that regard, I think they're going to stroll To staying in the league. Um, Will will they finish in the top 10? Probably not. Like Wolves did something along those lines uh, recently where they were promoted and then immediately launched themselves in the top 10. I don't think Villa can do that, but I think they can be comfortably 12th, 13th, 14th for most of the season after the first 10, 15 matches shake themselves out. Um, I don't
1: feel that way at all about either Norwich or Sheffield. I agree 100% with you. All right, let's go to another team. How do you feel about Crystal Palace? Well,
0: the Palace. So Wilfred Zaha is pretty much their best player. I don't think there's any argument about that. He is their best player. And he, not surprisingly, is tired of the Palace's continual hanging on by a thread, having to play till the second to last or the last weekend of the season to retain their Premier League status. He's not getting any younger. None of us are. And he was making a lot of noise about leaving, and he wanted to transfer, and it didn't happen. So now the question becomes, do you have a disgruntled star as these things go in your hands? He's not a superstar, but he's their best player. If he is disgruntled, if he is unhappy, and if he plays like somebody who didn't really want to be there in the first place, who knows where the goals are going to come from? I mean, Andres Townsend is still on that team. They signed Jordan IU. These are not difference-making players it could be a long season for palace.
1: All right, let's go on to Newcastle. Can the Magpies? Love it for the Magpies. Can the Magpies survive the precipitous fall in managerial ability from Rafa Benitez to Steve Bruce. Ah, Steve Bruce. What a good name. Good name for a British manager, right? Fantastic name, but he is sort of like the rich coat
0: tight of the Premier League. Wow. I know that's I know that's a reach back. That cuts deep. Um, but But there is definitely a stink of um, somebody who's just getting the job because everybody knows who he is in Steve Bruce. And look, Newcastle has done wonders in the last three, four, five seasons under Benitez to stay in the top 10, sometimes top 12, sometimes top 8, but always being very difficult to play against. Benitez had them playing fantastic defensive-minded football first and very opportunistic on counters. Benitez is a wonderful manager, as, as you well know. Um, to lose Benitez and to have Steve Bruce be the replacement, uh, I think Newcastle fans should rightfully be terrified. And I feel like if this gets off to the start, I think it's going to get off to where they struggle very early.
1: You could be talking about them getting relegated. I can talk about it. You can talk about it. We can all talk about it. All right, um, let's get to Burnley and Watford can probably lump them together yeah i'm ashamed to say but these are two teams that
0: when they come on especially if it's the early match on saturday or sunday and i see it's one of them and i see that they're not playing one of the top five teams i immediately look for some laundry to fold wow or i think about uh instead of uh doing some very quick breakfast maybe i'll make some omelets with some very like Esoteric ingredients, and I'll, I'll work really hard on it because I don't want to watch these teams play. That's a pancake um, day.
1: That's a that's a make pancakes from scratch day. Don't use the biscuit. That's, that's, that's another
0: like, great option. There you go. Another great option rather than sitting watching Watford. Uh, along those lines, by the way, how long can Troy Deeney play at this level? As big as he is, honestly, don't know. Have you seen him? Yes, a big man. He is very big. Yes, very big. Very girthy. <laughs> I have concerns. Anyway, okay. Burnley Burnley and Watford are probably <laughs> I didn't think you
1: were gonna go there. Like th-
0: okay, Burnley and Watford are probably gonna finish eleventh and twelfth or twelfth and thirteenth. Because again, I believe they're functionally interchangeable. They're not particularly interesting, but they are built in, in a manner that they are difficult to play when they're playing at home, and they're gonna scrounge out forty five or forty eight points because there's so much dead wood at the bottom of the table, and that's gonna be enough.
1: Let's go to our friends at Southampton. Is this the year the Saints go marching on? Just kidding. Or, go marching down to the championship. Marching back down to the championship
0: is the next question, as, as I indicated to you before we went on in the air here. Yep. They lack elite talent at any position, and you can only sell Virgil van Dyke so many times. You only sell him once. But the point being, players of his ilk, you can only sell off so many times and then hope that the likes of Ryan Bertrand and Nathan Redmond and James Ward-Prowse will continue to find you the 40 points you need to keep you up. Now, you can only relegate four oh, three teams, I was about to say. If you could relegate four, I think Southampton would be in a lot of trouble. You can only relegate three. So they'll probably survive again, but it's not because they're a good team. It's because the rules say you have to keep 17. Woof. Woof, woof. Let's move on. Well, listen, man. I, 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 I can throw I throw bouquets at the good teams, and at these lesser teams, I got to tell you what I see, and this well, is what sad. I see. You now, know,
1: I, I'm sure we have a lot of Southampton fans who listen to the show, and they're probably devastated that Phil Heidel doesn't think that they're going uh, to have a good season. I'm just. I think if I'm they're taking, listening to us, for the team, you know,
0: if they're listening to us, they're intelligent, they're knowledgeable, and they know that I'm telling the truth. And as you pointed out earlier, it's not hard to spell. It's Phil Keidel, at Phil Keidel on Twitter. If, if you're a Southampton supporter and you think that I've sold your side short, feel free to tell me in 280 characters or less exactly how I got this right. We've
1: got a short at 14th, Phil. Uh, let's, well. let's go to Bournemouth. Let's go to Bournemouth. We've got Joshua King, On the coast. Cal Wilson. Are they going to be able to stay healthy? If they can stay healthy, like maybe they have a shot at the mid table, right? Totally. I mean, Bournemouth is a tough
0: team to play. They're very well managed. Uh, it's another one of those outposts in the league that's, again, hard to get to, hard to leave, uh, tough place to play. Uh, and in recent seasons, they really haven't had Joshua King and Callum Wilson healthy at the same time to be able to form the strike partnership that they need to compete at a higher level. Again, not a side you expect to qualify for Europe. But if you're talking about a top 10 potential, you know, if West Ham struggles like I think they might, if Leicester struggles like I think they might, Bournemouth's in that conversation for top 10.
1: All right. And I guess that means that uh, we're we're down to our last uh, our last team. Brighton Hove oh, Albion. The Seagulls. Um, Are they going to send Malpeau a Falcon in like uh, Ocean City did?
0: <laughs> how on earth, just as a quick aside, how on earth has the Environmental Protection Agency and the... Uh, PETA folks have not gotten on Ocean City for bringing a falcon onto the boardwalk and making the seagulls scatter like that. What's wrong with falcon? Okay? a falcon? The
1: falcon's great. Let them scatter. Seagulls are horrible. We all agree on that. But look, there's a lot of things. The falcon didn't like that I rip them out of the sky and like gut them in front of children.
0: Well, that's only because they didn't let the falcon try it. But my point being, there's a lot of things ecologically and from a, you know an environmental standpoint that we don't necessarily prefer that the protectionists will say, well, you have to leave it the way it is. I just find it remarkable that the seagull doesn't get that kind of deference from those sorts of protections. But it's fine with me. I mean, if I get to go to Ocean City and get my slice of manco and manco on a 90-degree day that oh, Kevin Kincaid would God, never eat. shouldn't do that. Um, if I get to go eat that pizza on the boardwalk without being harassed by seagulls because there's a friendly falcon a block away, I'm down with it. I'm totally on board. Anyway, we we're getting. I'm just going to start topic.
1: carrying a falcon with me at all times. Can I get Algie Crumpler? Can I? He was a falcon. Can I, I just think a
0: falcon could be pick my pick you friend? up and fly away with you? That's probably true. We're being true. honest. Yeah, we're all being right, well. honest.
1: Depending Thanks, on the size man. of the falcon. Yeah, I guess. Okay, thank you. Uh,
0: and think. listen, the obvious shot there is that you need a 747 to pick me off the ground. So it's. Oh
1: fine. man, see, I wasn't going to. Come on, man. It's all right. Give yourself some credit.
0: Brighton Hove Albion, um, new manager Graham Potter, new signing Neil Pay. They're always right there in 17th and 16th, it seems. And it always feels like they are just one bad bounce and one bad breakaway. It took, I believe, until the last weekend of the season last year for them to stay up. And I think you can see the same thing this season. And I will say about them what I just said about Southampton. If you were talking about four sides getting relevated, Brighton-Hove Albion would be one of the ones I'd consider likely to go. But when you have Norwich and Sheffield lined up to go down again, only really one more is going to go. I've already kind of hinted at the fact I think it's Newcastle, so I think Brighton Hove Albion survives, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be pretty, and depending on who comes up next season, that's a side that I
1: would tab for potential relegation in 2020 and 2021. If you think about it, it's kind of funny that the seagulls tend to play chicken with uh, going down to the championship. See that? See what it did there? I see it's what you good. did. It's very clever. It's uh, birds of a feather flock together. Anyway! I think that's probably uh, enough to go on there. I guess the last thing for us to do, Phil, as part of this preview, is uh, get our predictions out of the way. How do you think this uh, season is going to pan out? I think uh, it's it's only safe to to assume that we can do something like maybe a top seven or so, and then maybe get the uh, the teams that'll be relegated. How do you want to? Yeah, do I don't think do anybody wants to.
0: Hear, and I don't think anybody really wants to hear me uh, put my name on who's going to finish twelfth. In this league i don't see it um so i'll go for it uh, even though i expressed some reservations as a city supporter uh about the things that may trip them up i still think they're the best side i still think they have the best manager you can have klopp if you want him. i'll take pep uh and i think they three uh, I think it means something to them too because if united and it is united was the last side that had the three straight premier league titles City would love to match another one of United's most recent accomplishments and stick it in their nose. So I'll take City again um, with some hesitation, but they're one to two to win the league on merit. Uh, I won't bet it, but I certainly think they'll win. I am taking Spurs to finish second, and I know that that's going to make you laugh, but I really do I'm think in. I really do think that this inability. Or refusal of Liverpool to strengthen the side is going to come to bear against them this season. Um, whether it's because of injury or whether it's just because of exhaustion, because Liverpool f- figures to have another deep Champions League run will probably make good runs in the domestic cups and it's gonna play a lot of football again. And it's hard, we've seen this with um, teams in American sports, uh, in the NBA, in the NFL, when you play, what, 20 to 25% more of your physical sport than other sides you're competing against, it takes a toll, even if you don't have injuries, you just have an accumulated wear, and you just don't have the same sharpness, especially week on week, and throughout the course of a season. So for me, I will take Spurs, I don't know if Spurs played as much football really, ultimately, as, as Liverpool did last year, I just think they're deeper. So I'm gonna take Spurs to finish second, I think Liverpool finishes third pretty comfortably because I think after that top three, it gets pretty choppy. Uh, I'm going to take Chelsea fourth. Uh, Even despite all of the plaudits I gave Arsenal for the excellent summer that they had, uh, I have faith in Chelsea's pedigree, for lack of a better phrase, Uh, and I also think Arsenal's recent form is enough to keep me from picking them to finish fourth. I think the Gunners finish fifth. I will take Everton to finish sixth and glory, glory, Man United in seventh. Wow. Which, which will, you know, anybody who listens and is, well, there's the City fan dumping on United again. Well, wait a minute. You're the one that made the arguments that Solskjaer is not the guy, right? Yeah. And you're the one that pointed out that they need an awful lot of things go right for them to overcome both the manager uh, and the loss of a lot of the premier talent they've had and the fact that uh, Ferguson still sits in the stands and looks down on everything and half chuckles at the fact that it's all gone to left. So look, United's time will come. They can't continue to make this same mistake over and over and over again. Eventually, they'll get the right manager and eventually they will return to prominence. Uh, they may even pass City uh, in the future. I wouldn't call it the
1: near future, but it's not going to be this season. All right. Sh- should I give my uh, top seven? Please do. Alright, so City's first. It's not close. Liverpool, I think, is gonna still manage to uh to take City down to the wire. I think Liverpool finishes in second. It's gonna be kind of weird to see them top two again. But I do think it's gonna happen. Third and fourth is where I, I run into a real conundrum because like I said earlier, I think Arsenal has a has a, a chance to get to that top four. Chelsea, I I'm I'm very hesitant. Frank Lampard has to be essentially like a and Zidane he's got to be a guy who finds immediate success early and I think there's enough variance there where there's a chance that he ends up being an absolute flame out and Chelsea ends up being like middle of the table that said and I hate to do this Arsenal finished third wow yeah I've got to bank on the idea that Tottenham finishes fourth, which I think they will. Um, I'm worried about... I I don't like putting Arsenal third, Uh, but I'm going to put them there because I think that the likelihood of them being a top-four club is a safer bet than Chelsea. And so I'll put Arsenal third. I'll put Tottenham fourth. Chelsea's able to overcome... Uh, a, perhaps a rough stretch to start the season where there are calls for Lampard's head, and they'll they'll finish fifth. I'll go. Uh, Wolves manage to balance the Europa League schedule. They finish sixth. Everton finishes seventh. United goes eighth. I don't know uh, if United is going to be able to to recapture some of the hot form that they had towards the end of the season last year. And I really don't think Ole's the guy to lead them forward. I Again, I won't be surprised if by January he's out. Um, I, I just don't think that they've demonstrated enough patience for a manager to go in and implement a system. I think ultimately they're going to decide that they made a mistake in giving him the extension they did. So you and I have pretty vastly different top sevens, and I think that's okay.
0: Well, the thing I'll say about Solskjaer is they'll have the same problem if they let him go midseason as they did when they brought him on. Who are you going to get? Uh, the names that are out there aren't particularly encouraging or inspiring. So they may have to ride it out with Ole through the rest of the season, whether they like it or not.
1: Did I give a top eight or did I give a top seven? Now I'm I'm questioning myself. City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham. Did Chelsea 5th. Did I believe? have Chelsea 5th? I think, yeah, Chelsea 5th. And then Was I it said,
0: Everton six, Wolves seven, and United eight? Was I think I went it? Wolves.
1: I think I went Wolves six, Everton seven, United eight. Yeah, so I did very eight. good. Okay, so I did eight. Okay, And we've corrected it. All right. So let's talk about the bottom of the table. The the teams that you think are going to get relegated. We're about to say, yeah, Norwich, yeah, uh, and, uh, Norwich and Sheffield, are, Sheffield,
0: and Newcastle
1: are, are all going down. Can I interest you, my friend, in um, in changing your mind on one of those? what if uh what if what if Norwich somehow is able to hold it off i'm gonna I'm gonna believe in Norwich Norwich somehow finds a way to stay up not on their own volition but just because Brighton ends is up that uh, bad. is that bad I think it ends up being a uh, a wicked battle between seventeenth and eighteenth. Norwich stays up Brighton goes down, but Sheffield and Newcastle can can kiss their. Keister's goodbye. That's where I'm at. I
0: would I would not fight you uh, in any significant manner on that point. I will note that Norwich's odds to go down are ten to eleven. Brighton's are nine to five, so they are actually the next choice. And and Newcastle's are two to one. So functionally, Newcastle and Brighton are a push odds wise. Um, and Burnley's right there, at two to one as well. So yeah, I can you can certainly interest me in Brighton. Uh, I just don't really believe in Norwich that much. But as you have pointed out, and it's fair, it's not that common that teams that are promoted immediately turn around and go back down. And Brighton has been so bereft for the last couple of seasons, and now they have another new manager
1: and not that much improvement in their squad, that, yeah, I can totally see them going down. And that, my friend, I I think brings us to the close of this show. It was a long one, but... In fairness, you've got to do you know a comprehensive preview of the league. Hopefully, people learn something from this. And uh, we talked about a lot of kinds of props. Now, listen, there are probably twenty odd other kinds of prop bets that you can place uh, at any sports book. Remember, in Pennsylvania and in Jersey, there are different legal sports books that you can access. Um, the ones that we kind of tend to lean towards in PA are Sugar House and FanDuel. But of course, we have reviews for. Uh, many of the legal sports books in Pennsylvania and as well as New Jersey on CrossingBroad.com. So go check those things out. Some of the links to those are found in the description of this episode. We will be back uh, with other previews for other leagues, including, I believe, as of right now, we're planning on doing one for the Bundesliga, Serie A and La Liga. So make sure you go check those out as well. And we will be doing weekly shows where we do a breakdown of the previous week's action, a preview of the upcoming week, and of course, ways to uh, to place a, a few small props that might be worth their uh, their weight as a standalone bet or as part of a parlay. So for Phil, you can find on Twitter at Phil Keidel, That's K E I D E L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Follow us on Twitter. Keep the conversation going there. Let us know what we got right, what we got wrong, and uh, of course, and I'm gonna say this really quickly. There is one error that I had in this episode that has haunted me since, and I couldn't figure out a good time to put it, and that, of course, is that the young player from Juventus, his last name is pronounced Kane, not Keen. It's just a, uh, a thing that I do naturally. So my apologies to Moise Kane for incorrectly pronouncing his name. I hope he will forgive me. For Phil, I'm Russ. Talk to you soon.